This is the firstborn, of course referring to Menashe. Place your right hand on his head. And his father refused. And he said, Yodati vini Yodati. I know my son, I know. Gamhu Yihiya Laam. He too will be as a nation. Vigamhu Yigdal, and he too will become great. Vulam, however, Achiv Hakaton Yigdal Mimenu, his younger brother will become greater than him. Vizaro Yihiya Malohagoyim, and his descendants will fill all the nations. Okay, so those are the few psukim that are being quoted here that our Midrash is going to be going on. Dalit. Vaya Yosef Kiyashis Aviv, etc. If anybody needs a photocopy, they're right on the back table there. A few steps to this Midrash. And as we go through it, we will go through the first few ideas without explaining the concepts, and then we'll come back and explain the concepts. Omar Rebbe Bracha, Rebbe Bracha said, Yudah di dechas tilisa'a da'alma. Yaakov is now speaking to Yosef, and he says, This hand, which has pushed aside one-third of the, of the world, Adma Vakesh Lidchosa, you're trying to push it away? So in other words, Yaakov is saying, my hand pushed away one-third of the whole world. And you're trying to push away my hand? So that's the first mystery of the Midrash. Still in the Midrash, by Yomer Yosef Olavit. Yosef said to his father, it's not so the way you have it. His father refused, Yaakov. He said, I know my son, I know. So what does he mean when he says, I know? Yodati ma'asei ru'uveinu bilha. I know what happened with Ruvain and Bilha when it says that he switched the beds there. Umasei Yehuda v'tamor. I also know what happened with Yehuda and Tamar. Ma'adavorim shalo niskalu lucha niskalu li. Things which were not revealed to you, those two things, Ruvain and Bilha, Yehuda and Tamar, things which were not revealed to you were revealed to me. The things that you do know, that I reveal to you, certainly all the more so I know them. So Yaakov is saying to him, the things you don't know, you're not aware of, I am aware of. So all the more so the things that you are aware of, I'm aware of. This is very mysterious. What's he talking about? What's he saying? What's he, alluded, what's he alluding to? So now we'll take a look at the Yosef commentary on the right side of the page, and it starts from the top where the arrow is. It says letter Dal, it also says letter Vav. So the first thing that Yaakov <coughs> says to Yosef is, Yudah, didachis tulisoi da'ama, this hand which has pushed aside one-third of the world, and you're trying to push it aside. Kolomar, meaning... When Yosef was coming to try to move aside the power of his hand, 
And one of the Mephorshim says here that Yosef was physically trying to move Yaakov's hand. So his father said to him, This is the hand which fought against the Malach, meaning the Malach of Esav that, that Yaakov had defeated earlier in his life. Shahu Shalish Shal Olam. And a Malach is one third of the world, which we'll see about. We don't know what that means yet. Atamavakeshlidchosa, so you're trying to push it away. Because so we have our first insight. What did Yaakov refer to? He's talking about when he defeated the Malach. And this hand defeated a Malach, and you're trying to push it away. Omar. So therefore, Yosef said to him, Lokeinavi. No, this is not so, Father. I'm not here to try and physically force your hand. That's not where I'm coming from. I'm just coming to do what's right. There's something that's not right about this. So it's not a question of physical force, but there's yashras here. Kichok hayosher hu because it is only yashar, it's only right that the older should not be pushed aside due to the younger. A, a theme that goes, it's a multi-generational theme in the Torah with all these pre- previous generations. So he says to him, no, Father, it's not a question of I'm trying to physically move you. I, just, I want you to know that He's the older, he's the younger. The Bechor should not be pushed aside for the younger. But Yaakov was not concerned about Yosef's words, meaning he did not give them credence. Because he was acting with Ruach HaKodesh right now. And that's a little bit about what he's telling him. I know. Yaakov says, I know who's who here. Things you don't know, I know. Certainly things you do know, I know. So he's doing this Baruch HaKodesh. That's why I'm not moving my hand. Now, let's take a look at the next one. Yodati ma'ase Reuven. So he says to him, I know what happened with Reuven and Bilha. I know what happened with Yehuda and Tamar. Why two things? So the Etzioseh says, Di'im lokein yodati yodati lamoli. Because why does the Torah use the word yadati twice? Apparently he's referring to two separate incidents. He could have just said yadati b'ni. I know, my son. But he says yadati b'ni yadati. That's two things he knows. And that's why the Midrash says ru'uvein and Bilha and Yehuda and Tamar. Now, before we see the next eight Yosef, the next two, first I want to mention this. So Yaakov is saying to him, the things that you don't know about, I know. Certainly the things that you do know about, I know. He's saying, you know that Menashe is the Bechor. That's known to you. Kol Shekain, I know. So just in a very straightforward way. You know he's the Bechor, so of course I know. I know things that you don't know. I know this as well. But the Yosef has a different mahalach in that, and he goes as follows. Yodati ma'ase ru'uven, ritzon ulamar. 
meaning to say, Shayakov Yadabi Nuvua Sharuvain Lochata. Yaakov knew through prophecy that Ruvain did not sin. Now the Torah says there that Ruvain slept with Bilha. It didn't mean that. It means he changed around the bed, that he put Yaakov's bed, took it out of Bilha's tent into his mother's tent, Leah, because after Rachel died, Yaakov's bed was moved to Yaakov moved his bed to Bilha, and Reuven thought that was an insult to his mother, Leah. So he moved the bed from Bilha's tent to Leah's tent. And that was considered to be a very serious Avera. The way the Torah describes it is that Reuven slept with Bilha. Now that's not, that's not what happened. However, this H. Yosef says that there was an inclination in Reuven to do that. And when it says, Shereuven lo chata, this goes according to the opinion in the Gemara Shabbos in that parak, Shabikesh Ruvain That Ruvain was thinking about it. He was thinking about that hey, but actually sleeping with Bilha, but he overcame his Yetzirahara and he didn't. That's a very private matter. How would anybody else know that? Well, Yaakov knew that through Nevuah. So he knew that something happened with Reuven, that he had a desire for Bila, and he was able to be Kovesh es Yitzro. Shokovash Yitzro Bishas Maisa. That he overcame his Yetzohara at the time of the Maisa. So it could very well be, I'm just suggesting this, that both of these really go together. That what really happened is that Bilha, I'm sorry, Reuven switched Yaakov's bed from Bilha's tent to Leha's tent. That's how everybody understands that. At the same time, what appears to be is that he also had a machshava, a thought, a desire for Bilha. And Yaakov knew that, and he also knew that Ruvain overcame that. V'chein, likewise, yada b'ma'ase Yehuda. He also knew about what happened with Yehuda and Tamar. What did he know? Shehamalach shel hataiva hitahu that the angel of Taiva, of desire, compelled Yehuda. Now one of the opinions there, when Yehuda was with Tamar, a lot said about that, one of the opinions is that Yehuda did not have Bechira at that moment, because that relationship had to happen in order for those children to be born, because that's the lineage of Mashiach. That's where Mashiach comes from. So Mina Shomayim, that relationship had to occur. So the way that's expressed by our Chachamim in an earlier Midrash is that the Malach of Taiva compelled Yehuda to be with Tamar, and he had no Bechira. So Yaakov Avinu is saying, and I know about that too. So I know through Nevuah that Reuven was Kovesh, his Yetzer, not to be with Bilha. And I also know that when Yehuda was with Tamar, that that was through something that was not Bechira-related. He was compelled by Amala. Not everybody says that, but that's what the Yosef is saying here. So those are the two things that no one else would ever know, but Yaakov knows them through Nevuah. Okay, now the next Yosef, how does that apply to this situation? What does that have to do with what's happening here? So he says, Ma devorim shalom niskala l'cha niskalu li? Yaakov says to Yosef, Things that you're not aware of are, ha, are, are revealed to me. 
things which are revealed to you, certainly they are revealed to me. Which is, that you were sold by your brothers. I know about it. Now that means to say that Yaakov Avinu is now informing Yosef for the very first time, right before he's about to die, I know what happened. I know your brother sold you. Now this question came up, I think, maybe last week. Did Yaakov ever really know? My recollection is that some say Yaakov never knew, that he was not told. That's my recollection. But the H. Yosef says here that his pshat is he's talking about the Mechira. So why does he introduce that? Why is it important here? This is why. Ki Yosef Yosef saw what happened as the result of his brother's jealousy toward him. He knew what happened to himself. In that his father showed more love to him than the other Shvat. Now Yosef was makpid, he was concerned and careful. He didn't want the same thing to happen over again. I don't want to place jealousy between Menashe and Ephraim. So he's saying to his father, you know, he's the older one. But Yosef's thinking, okay, my father doesn't know my brother sold me. Doesn't know anything that happened. So I can't say anything. But I do need to tell him that he's the before. Because placing the younger in front of the older can cause jealousy. Like happened to me. That's what he's thinking in his mind. By making known more love to the younger one here, you're going to cause jealousy. And Yosef thought that Yaakov didn't know that he was sold by his brothers. So therefore Yaakov says to him, the things, my dear son, that you don't know, I know. Certainly the sale that your brother sold you, that you do know about it, I know about that too. But nonetheless, I'm going to do this because he's doing it Baruch HaKodesh. So he's saying to Yosef, I know all about what happened. I know what kina can do. I know what jealousy can create. I know you were sold down to Mitzrayim. Nonetheless, I know what I'm doing. And my hand goes on Ephraim, not on Menashe. That's what he's saying to him, according to the Yosef. Just one sec. Now, we have one addition. What about the Cherem? Right, that oath that they all told that no one could tell. So the Yosef says, Va'afalpi shecherimu. They made a Cherem. A very solemn oath. Shalolagalos not to reveal this, this sale, the shitfu es Hashem beinehem, and Hashem was included in that cherem. God himself was not permitted to tell. <coughs> so how did God tell Yaakov? Yaakov knew it through Nevuah. That means God told him, but God wrote the cherem? He says, no. Kishanim sa Yosef hitiru hacherem. When Yosef was found in Mitzrayim, and the brothers knew, ani Yosef, the cherem was released. So they didn't say anything about it at that point. 
They didn't tell anybody, but the cherem was released, and now Hashem told Yaakov, Binavua, what had occurred. So all this is happening right there as Yaakov does this, you know, see Kelas Yadav, and in this second or two of conversation, all of this is going on, and he's revealing to Yosef that he knows what happened, and don't worry, I know what I'm doing, this is done, Baruach HaKodesh. So it's hard, kind of hard to say to a Navi like Yaakov Avinu, maybe you're not aware of this, right? Rabbi Sinyadi Kavadeh? Yeah. Well, this was, I, what was the relevance of him telling him about Zohar and Reuven and Yud and Tamar? I understand the relevance of telling him that he knows what, that he's worried that there's going to be a bad outcome from Kina, but why is he revealing that to him? I don't know why. I don't know why he couldn't have just said, in general, why does he have to say? Maybe it's to convince Yosef. Here's, here's two examples of something that you don't know about that I do. That's so a very convincing statement. But it's hard for me to see that because why does Yaakov have to convince Yosef about what he says? Right? He's Yaakov Avinu. So maybe it gave, gave extra force to what he was saying. But it's a little hard for me to understand why Yaakov, similar question, had to say specifically those two cases. I mean, obviously, it's a different context, but Ruven was Kovesh. So his yitzer, his Yosef is celebrated. He has a similar situation. I mean, he thought about it clearly. With Asia's Potiphar. Yeah. Right. And he's celebrated, and Ruven is condemned and loses his um, position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yolanda, yeah. right with your hand. But, but did he, was he just um, alluding to this, or did he actually tell Yosef? Lachora, he alluded to it. It could be he didn't tell him. Right, it could be. But still, it, why does he even have to say that? Right. Why does he even have to say, I know what happened with Uvin? Why can't he just say, I know things that you don't know, and then, and then proceed? Well, maybe he did say that, but the Mepharshim is saying what he's alluding to. No, it, it's, it says, Yodati Masa Reuven. Ubili. Yodati Masa Yehuda Vitamar. So he said those words. Maybe he didn't elaborate, but he still said those words. Aviva, your hand was up before. You, uh, the, uh, the cherim, About the cherim? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, how he knew and that, that, oh. that at the end, um, once, once, he, once the cherim was released, then Hashem was, quote unquote, permitted to tell Yaakov about what happened, and he did, the Derek Nevuah. So, all this is going on here. Now, we still didn't answer the question yet about a Malach being one third of the world which we'll get to in a second. Elka, yeah, please. Uh, I guess I have two questions. Yeah. One is, um, if each person is given a certain nevua, let's say, then it doesn't really have to, I don't understand if that Yaakov is in a relation like, because I know all these things, and you don't, therefore I, because I thought Hashem gives certain people certain nevuas, and it doesn't affect how many other people know right. or anything. Right, that's usually how we understand it, and that comes up when we find out a few parshas earlier in the Torah that Yitzchak Avinu knew that Yosef was in Mitzrayim and his son Yaakov is suffering. So Rashi says, why didn't Yitzchak tell Yaakov? Yitzchak said, if Hashem didn't tell him, then I can't tell him. So that's how Nevi'im worked. So you're right, and, what, and that is what we would expect. But apparently, for whatever reason, 
maybe so Yaakov would have an even greater, you know, appreciation for his sons. Hashem let him know things about other people's lives. That's not a given. What you're saying is correct. It's not a given. So that's perhaps why Yaakov is saying to Yosef, look, I want you to know that there are certain things that I know that you don't know, and Hashem is telling me these things. Because it's relevant now. It's relevant in terms of how he, put, how he puts his hands on the two sons. And normally you would not expect that to happen. But Yaakov's nevuah is either so broad that it's, it's not typical, even for nevuah, or that Hashem wanted to reassure him that his sons are tzaddikim, and this is what happened here, this is what happened there, so he's given the zechus to know that. It's not quite as gentle, right? So he says, um, the Lushan is Lochain Ovi, right? It's not like this that. is not like this is not this is not so, it's right? Very, um, like Sounds a little stronger, right? A little firmer, right? Like, so uh, uh, to say, like, is it possible, Father, that you put your hand in the wrong place? Right. Yeah, it is. I agree. It, it does sound a little strong from Yosef. But I want to address the other side from that for a minute, from a machshav that, I, that I've had over the years. There's an unusual word here that when Yaakov tries to move Yosef's hand, it says, Va'yismoch, and he supported his hand. Lehasir osa, in order to remove it. So why doesn't it say he lifted it or he moved it? Why does it say Va'yismoch? The word Va'yismoch is Tamicha, that means to support. Tom Torah, Tom Shabbos, you're supporting. So I think it's like this. This is a situation in the Torah where one person has to correct another person. Yosef has to correct his father as to who's the firstborn. So how does he do it? In a supportive way. As he's telling him this is not correct, he's doing it b'derech temicha. He's supporting him. So the lesson is that whenever we have to correct another person, we have to do that in a way which also provides them support. We can't just lay somebody out on the carpet. It has to be done with tamicha. Now, Kol Shikain, a son who's addressing his father, has to speak in a proper way. So I'm looking at it from the other angle, Elka, that that word is suggesting there's something very supportive about what Yosef is doing because it's not a typical word. Okay, now what about the one-third part of the mob? So it says in the Midrash earlier, in the Midrash Rabbah, when Yaakov Avinu has the dream in Parshish Bayet say about the ladder, the Sulam. So it says that, that Malachim of Hashem were going up and down the ladder. So the Midrash says, says there were four Malachim, two going up and two going down. How do they get that? Because it says Malachim plural, 
And miyud rabim shnayim. The minimum number of plural is always two. That's a, wor- a rule in the, in the Torah. So there were two going up, two going down. That's four malachim. The Midrash says over there that Hashem showed Yaakov the whole world plus a third. The whole world plus a third. How do we get that? Because a malach is one third of the world. If there are four malachim, that's four thirds. So therefore, he showed him the world plus a third. Very unusual, mysterious midrash earlier. Now, how do we see that a malach represents a third of the world? So over there, it quotes a pasuk from Daniel. And Daniel is describing malachim, and he says their body is like Tarshish. Tarshish is a gemstone, and it looks like the ocean. It looks like the sea. So when it says the body of a malach is like the ocean, it, says, it means to say it's like, it's like the ocean in this way. That the Chachamim say that the world is composed of three-thirds. Shulish Mayim, it's one-third water. Shulish Yishu, one-third populated, civilized areas. Shulish Midbor, one-third desert and empty, desolate areas. So we see the ocean is one-third of the world. A malach is compared to an ocean because its body is Tarshish. So therefore, a malach is one-third of the world. That's the reason, that the, the logic that the Midrash uses over there to show that a malach is one-third. Now over here on the bottom, there's one more. If you take a look on the bottom of your page where it says, Eshed HaNucholim, that commentary, that perush on the bottom, where the check is by the letter Dalit, right side of the page. Yoda Dedachis. So Yaakov says, My hand which pushed aside one third of the world. If I, or being that I, was able to vanquish the Malach who's one third of the world. Because the world is divided into three sections. What are they? Olam HaMalachim, one-third is the world of angels. Olam HaGalgalim, one-third is the world of planets and constellations. Olam HaShafel, and one-third is our world, Earth. V'imkein, Olam HaMalachim Hu Shalish. And therefore, the world of Malachim is one-third. So that's the pshad of the Eshed HaNacholim. A Malach is one-third of the world, meaning there are Malachim, Galgalim, and Earth. One-third of that is malachim. That's what it means. A malach is one-third of the universe or one-third of the earth. So two different shatim, either because his body is like the ocean and the ocean is one-third, <laughs> or like he says over here. Ilana, a question? What does it mean, the body is like the ocean? It's described there, a pasuk from Sefer Daniel, that the, bo- the body of the malach is like Tarshish. And Tarshish is a gemstone which, look, which has the color of the ocean. Yeah, so therefore they make the connection that a Malach's body is compared to the ocean. What that means, I don't know. But that's the connection that they make. Yeah. Reverson, you had a hand up before? Sure. Yeah. Please, Mrs. Schumann, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so there's Olam HaMalachim, the world of angels. Olam HaGalgalim, the world of planets and constellations, and Olam HaShafa, which means the earth. So those are three divisions of reality. 
one-third of that division is malachim, is angels, and therefore a malach is one-third of the universe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how come if there was a cherem that Yitzchak Avinu knew? How did he know, right? Right. So it must be that, that he knew. I'm, I'm thinking two, two thoughts. Either he knew before the cherem mm-hmm. was done, or else... No, that's not correct. I was going to say he figured it out, but it says he knew a Baderach Nevuah. So that can't be correct. Maybe before the Cherem was placed in, he was informed. But then you see, each father knows more than the son. Each father knows more than the son, right? We've got to tell that to our children. <laughs> okay. Any other questions? Yeah, Elka, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, angels are not physical, but when we say one third, one third, one third, the other two thirds are physical. Right. So it's such a kind of bizarre uh, situation mm-hmm. that I can't actually wrap my head around. Right, we can't, we can't, but it's total reality. Right. Total reality, physical, spiritual. You have this third over here, these two thirds over there. But yes, you can't take spirituality and put a fraction on a 33.3%. Right. Right. So, yeah, one part of three, you could say, perhaps, yeah. But that, what you're saying is important, because if you were just looking at the physical world, I think they said water covers like 70% of the Earth's surface. So, it's a lot. So it's including yeah. more than the physical world, that division of thirds. I mean, clearly mean? because... It, I mean, because water is more than a third? Right, yeah. so, I mean... I don't know why they call climate yeah, third. I guess what, yeah. what she's saying. What yeah. I, what, it could also mean not literally one third. It could mean that there are three parts. You know, it could be three parts. One part angels, one part galgali, one part land, or, or earth. Could, could be that. But I'm not sure. Say it again. Well, the, the Malachim is certainly referring to something spiritual. But the Galgalim in Olam HaShofel would not be. That would be something physical. Olam HaShofel means earth, you know, our, our lower physical world. I don't know. Also, there's a lot more spiritual reality than angels, too. Exactly. So, so for some reason, they're not being included here, and I don't know why. Yeah. There's kochos, right, that we learned in the Ramchal many times, so I'm not sure why that's not part of this. Yeah, yeah please. I, I'm a little confused. Yeah. How does that pertain to what Yaakov was telling Yosef about how he knows? So that part doesn't. Uh, that part pertains to the first thing he said when he said, you're trying to push away my hand by force. This is the hand which defeated one-third of the world. That was, a, that was the first part of that. Then the second part is the, what you know and what he knows. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess there was a greater feat of strength to defeat the Malach, the Shar Shalesav, than, than to move that stone. Well, well, right, I mean, I think it's yeah. within spiritual and physical division. Yeah. 
In other words, that would have been a physical thing, right? Right. right. Okay. I hear, I hear that. Okay, now the second part of the Midrash. Okay, we're back in the Midrash, and it says the Gamhu. Gamhu Yihiyalo'am, the Gamhu Yigdol. He too will be a nation, and he too will be great, but his younger brother will be greater than him. So the Midrash says, V'efshar Kain, is that possible that Ephraim will fill the entire world? Is that really what that means? So just move over to the left, where I circled Gamhu Yigdol. What does that mean? Sefei Dikra, this is the end of the Pasuk. V'zaro Yihiyah Goyim, and his descendants, his offspring, will fill the entire nations of the world. V'zehu Sheshoah, that's what the Midrash is asking. Efshar Kain, is that really possible? Sheyihiyu kol kach that Ephraim would be so numerous and in so many places. Shalom nimsa kein b'tanach. He says, you don't find that in Tanakh. I'm not just making an observation, but you don't find in Tanakh that Ephraim filled the whole world. V'doresh im eno inyan al-miluam. Okay, so then it's going to give the answer. So that's what the Efshar Kain means. We don't find such a thing that Ephraim filled all of reality. Ella, what does it mean back in the Midrash? Ze Yehoshua. He's referring to one person, Yehoshua bin Nun, who's a descendant of Ephraim. He's from Shevet Ephraim. Shahu Madmim Galgal Chama Ulavana. That he silenced the sun, literally the sphere of the sun and the moon. He made it still. He stopped the sun in the sky. Shehain Sholtin Misofa Olam Viyad Sofo. And they rule, the sun and the moon, they rule from one end of the world to the other. So one person, your descendant, Ephraim, Yoshua bin Nun, is going to do something that will fill the whole world. He's going to stop the sun in its tracks, and the entire world will take notice of that. That's what he's talking about. And what does that refer to? Amar Rebbe Yitzchak. He just quotes it in part here. This is what Yoshua said to the sun. Abda Bisha, you are a bad, disobedient servant. He says to the son, he's in the middle of a battle. He wants there to be more daylight so he can finish the battle and defeat his enemies. If once it turns dark, they're going to get away. So he says to the son, you need to stop. And apparently, initially, the son didn't listen. So Yoshua said, Abda Bisha, you're a diso- disobedient servant. You are my ancestor's possession. Who's his ancestor? Yosef. Why? Because Yosef had a dream, and what happened in his dream? The sun bowed down to him. Amazing, right? So Yeshua says to him, you are my ancestor. He has you in his pocket. You bow down to him. You have to listen to me. So as a result of that, the sun stood still in the sky. Let's take a look at the bottom there, Matnos Kahuna, um, where it says that. Oh, I'm sorry, I must have seen it somewhere else. But what he says there is that the Hishtachavoya, it was the bowing of the sun to Yosef in his dream that earned the sun as property, you might say, that he owns it. Yosef now owns the sun. And that's what Yoshua said 
to the Chama. Now, we could, maybe, we were, maybe we would be the descendants of Yosef, and we would try saying this, right? <laughs> so it's not just that there's the flus of Yosef. Yoshua had to be a pretty big person because he said it, and the son listened. Right? Anybody can every, say it. I try saying it every Friday afternoon. Every Friday afternoon you're trying to say that, right? <laughs> just does not seem, doesn't seem to work. So there's the chus of Yosef and there's the chus of Yeshua ben Nun, the descendant of Ephraim. So that's who he's talking about. That's who Yaakov is talking about when he says his descendants will fill the world. He's talking about Yeshua. Now, one more fascinating midrash, which I want to read for you, which is much earlier in the Torah, and it's talking about Parshas Vayeshev. Oh, the same dream. I'll read it out for you. Vayachalom od chalom acher. Yosef has another dream, and this is the dream of the sun and the moon bowing down to him. And he says it over to Yaakov. He tells Yaakov the dream, and Yaakov knows that it's true. It's a nevuah. B'sho'a sh'omar Yosef. When Yosef said to Yaakov, V'hinei Hashemesh v'hayareach, and the sun and the moon bow down to me, to me, Omar Yaakov. So Yaakov said to Yosef, Mi gila lo sheshmi shemesh. Who revealed to my son Yosef that my name is son, shemesh? Who told Yaakov my name is shemesh? Now where do we get that? Where do we get that Yaakov's name is shemesh? So the Meforshim say, because when Yaakov Avinu got to that place, it says, Vayolen Shom Kiva Hashemesh. He lied down there to go to sleep because the sun was coming, meaning the sun was setting. The Meforshim say that Kiva Hashemesh is what the Malachim were saying to each other. They said, the sun is coming. Who are they referring to? Yaakov Avinu. Became a, lo- a song later in history called Here Comes the Sun. Right? <laughs> so the sun is coming. Kiva Hashemesh. Who's that? Yaakov. Yaakov is the Shemesh. Also interesting, when Yaakov has his wrestling match with the, with the star Shal Esav, and he's healed by what power? The sun. The sun comes, and the healing powers of the sun, of course Hashem is, is doing that, the healing powers of the sun bring Yaakov Rufuah Shalema. So that matches up. He's the Shemesh, and therefore he's healed by the powers of the sun after that wrestling match with Esav. So all of these connections come together. He knows, he knows my name is the sun because Kivo Hashemesh, that's what happened to me. Therefore this Nevuah that he had must be true. And here it's quoted more in full, so I'll just read the whole thing. Yeshua, later in history, says to the son, Avdo Bisha, disobedient Eved, Lav Zavinas Kaspe Da Aboat, aren't you the monetary acquisition of my ancestor of, Yos- of Yosef? Didn't my ancestor see you in a dream? And it said, V'hinei Hashemesh v'hayareach, and behold, the sun and the moon bound out. Didn't you, didn't you know that? That you are the possession of, Ye- of Yosef? Af at 
Dom milafonai. So be still in my presence. And miyad, it says, therefore in Sefer Yoshua, vayidom Hashemesh v'yoreach amad. The sun was still and the moon stood in its place. Okay. Are there any questions? On that? Okay, yeah, please. A lot of questions, yeah. Yeah. The question is, what is going on, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's all Torah Shabbat Midrash is Torah Shabbat These are These are the Chachamim. Same Chachamim in the Mishnah and the Gemara. These are Chazal. It's all Torah Shabbat This is Misora. These are Drashos that they have. And they understand and they're informing us a little bit more of the picture, a little more, another perspective. And each one is MS. Each perspective is MS. And they're trying to fill out the picture, what's happening in the Torah for us from the Torah Shabbat Peh. Yeah. So even if they're contradictory? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, midrash, if, if Midrashim contradict, we're okay with that. Because Midrashim are not necessarily literal. So therefore, if one contradicts the other, it's not like two, two contradicts, two things con- in open contradiction to each other. And we have to resolve it. We have to understand it. We have to try and understand it if we can. But we're not worried about the fact that it says two very different, even uh, oppositional things. It's not necessarily literal. Some midrashim are literal, but other midrashim are not. Is there a way of knowing which ones are literal? You have to look at the Mephorshim and see how they understand you know, what's being said here, how they understood that. When it says Moshe Rabbeinu was ten amos high, that's not a literal midrash. That's a concept that he was ten amos high. And he jumped ten amos and he used a stick that was ten amos in order to hit Og on the ankle and kill him. Those are concepts about the number ten. That's not literal. So we know that from the way they are explained and the way they are interpreted by our Mephorshim. Now this to me appears literal. It appears literal that when Yaakov says, Yodati b'ni, Yodati, that he filled in those two words from the Torah with more words that the Midrash states here. I know what happened with Ruvim and Bila. I know what happened with Yehud and Tamar. That's just a, not just a concept. He's letting him know something here. And Yeshua saying that to the son, to me that appears to, to, to be literal. That he said to the son, you are owned by my ancestor Yosef, and therefore you have to stop for me. Yeah, please, Ilana. So it seems like there's two midrashim saying one's literal and one's more just not, not literal. But there are two I, ways, not, not two separate midrashim, but two. Okay, two different types. Yeah, exactly. But, mm-hmm. but then why aren't the literal ones just called midrashim? Why are they called the midrashim? Pro- probably because they darshan psukim. Right? Midrash is the lashan of darush. When you're darshaning psukim, you're going to call that midrash. Mm-hmm. You're pulling something out from a pasuk. You're extracting something from the usage of words and comparisons from one pasuk to another. That's, that's Darusha. That's not Pshat. That's not Pshat. It's, it's Darusha, so we call it Midrash. But others don't want to call it Darusha. They do that too, to an extent. They, they can. They, you're saying other Midrashim? The one you read with the Chumash, not Rashi, yeah. literal, but the other Midrashim also do yeah. that. But they're yeah. called 
Perushim. Yeah, similar, similar. They're extracting through reason and through insight. They may even be pulling on the Chazal. They often do. But in strict terms, that to take Sukim and work with them and pull something out of them, in strict terms, that's called Duresh. Perush is a general word for explanation. I'm explaining something, and it could be through any number of ways that they're explaining something. Yeah, please, Mira. Yeah. So what do we get? Like, what do we receive from this that like, expands something for us? Well, uh, just I can speak for myself. It gives me a further and deeper appreciation of some of the stories that are happening in the Torah and the people who are, we are speaking about and, and their greatness and some of the under-the-surface events that were going on. It opens up our eyes as to what's truly occurring in the Torah. And then to apply that to our own life, that, of course, is something we always have to strive to do, how to apply it to our own life. Yeah. It's like honoring one's father. That's what I, like, Yaakov reminds him, like, you know, like, I'm... I'm aware, right, I know. Yeah, yeah I'm aware. Right. I'm, I'm your father. I, I know. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeshua also? respect that. Right. Like, gives cover to his ancestor, Yosef. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Practical lesson. To appreciate their stature. Mm-hmm. When he moves his hand... Mm-hmm. Like he knows what he's doing. Right. When he, when, when Yaakov Avinu moves his hands, he knows what he's doing. Right. And we can't just think it's somebody moving their hand around. There's a whole world behind it. Right. And when, when he moves his hands, like he's in command of the, like almost the world. Right. The sun, the mullah, I mean, you know. So it's, yeah. it's not a small thing to take any issue with the way Yaakov Avinu is moving his hands. Right. You could say to us, Yodati, Yodati, right? In terms of us, that, you know, we also have that, that we have that ability to put meaning into our movements, however slight. Very good. Right. To try and put meaning into our own movements as well and make sure that they have tocha into it. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Mrs. Fran, please. Isn't Yaakov being held accountable on a certain level for creating... Uh, With the Ketonis passing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a level of culpability there. Lefi Madre Gasso, creating that kina. Yeah. And he judged... I'm sorry, go ahead. Part of that as well. Yosef experienced the result of that, you know. Yeah, please, Dory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, very good. Right. Very good. That fits in very well. Right? That he, he experienced that. Right. Excellent. Okay, I want to wish everybody a wonderful winter, a warm winter. And uh, we are going to continue learning Midrash next semester as well. We'll just keep going through the Torah and the Midrash. And when we get closer to Purim, we'll do a couple of Midrashim that are uh, Purim-related. Have a great week. Two. Two. Thank you. Thanks, Gail.